Hello and welcome to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor and joining me this week are... Brendan Sinclair. Rebecca Valentine. We're going to be discussing some of the biggest news from the last week, but first, the headlines. Former Ubisoft EA Motive exec Jade Raymond has joined Google as VP of Games ahead of next week's big GDC reveal. Meanwhile, patent applications from the internet giant show a console-style games controller that delivers notifications for game invites, updates, and when someone has beaten your score. Brendan Player Unknown Green is leaving the PUBG team to head up a new special projects division at the company's Amsterdam office. He will still be a consulting creative director on the Battle Royale game. Electronic Arts has apologised for the delay in dealing with a Sims-focused EA game changer who was sexually harassing some of the game's players. Purely unconfirmed market speculation led to a jump in Take-Two shares after rumours suggested that it would be acquired by Sony. Sega has pulled Yakuza spin-off Judgment from sale and Square Enix is making changes to Kingdom Hearts 3 after a voice actor was arrested for alleged cocaine use. Valve has terminated its contract with artifact designer Richard Garfield, calling the game's future into question. And two Millie, Alfonso Ribeiro and various others suing Epic Games over stealing their dances have been forced to temporarily drop their lawsuits until they're granted copyright on said routines. Brief note on that one before we begin, because obviously a few weeks back, Alfonso Ribeiro, who obviously everyone knows is Carlton from The Fresh Prince, was denied copyright for the Carlton dance because it was too simple. And therefore, which I imagine, given two millies, Millie Rock is basically standing there and swinging your arms. I imagine that also is too simple. I have a feeling that Epic might win this, and it will just be, you know, open season on people's copyright, seemingly copyrighted dance routines. I mean, right now there's nothing for them to. They are. They effectively already have one because there isn't a lawsuit anymore, and there won't be unless they can get copyright granted. So it's. It may be done. We may be done hearing about this, possibly. No, this will this will be dragged out for a few months. I like the <laughs> idea of open season on these dance routines. Like, like, won't someone <laughs> think of the poor three-second looping novelty dances in pop culture? You know what I mean. I, I mean, like, obviously, like when the lawsuits started coming around, like, you know, people like Playground started pulling all these dances from their games just in case they would get sued as well. And uh, if if Epic win, that's it. Everyone would be able to do, use any dance routine, which to an extent i can see it like you know if there's nothing stopping you from doing so i mean the stuff it? it is creative work these people created these these dances that and and popularized them and and there's value in that and it kind of sucks to see other people just sort of you know yoink we're gonna make money with that i think it'll be interesting to see if someone tries to draw a line here, so they they might not be able to get copyright because the dances are too simple. So is eventually somebody going to find a dance that's complicated enough? How complicated a dance are we talking? Say, do you have to judge it by say like the Macarena? I mean, that's at least eight <laughs> steps, isn't it? Uh, I think that that dance is probably copyrighted by I somebody. I think we got to use like the Janet Jackson Rhythm Nation video as kind of that's the threshold. <laughs> that and above you that's too complex that's clearly protected i just i just wish i could be in the courtroom for for some of these these cases where the the lawsuit against two milli where where um epic filed to dismiss it and I, we said this on an earlier episode like you just re- i just read out all the instructions that they actually described the differences between the dances it just reminds me of that bloke from rocky picture horror show um, well, sorry, Rocky Horror Picture Show, where it's just—it's just a jump to the left. <laughs> but I bet that dance is trademarked too, or could I be. bet that one is too? I bet. Yeah, well, you haven't seen the time warp in Fortnite, have we? <laughs>
So Jade Raymond has returned. Yay! <laughs> I, I'm still going to wonder what she actually managed to do at EA Motive because she was there three years and I, I know it was all very kind of behind the scenes. We don't know what was happening on a Star Wars project, but it does see like from the outside, it's like she joined EA, she was there in secret for three years, kind of working quietly, and then she left. And we will never know what she accomplished, but I'm really hoping we find out what she's up to at Google. Oh, I'm sure we're finding that out at G- GDC. There is there is no way she is not VP of whatever they're announcing. Yeah, definitely. And I've seen a lot of people saying, and I kind of agree with this, in the like announcing Jade Raymond um, the hire just ahead of of next week's GDC reveal. And obviously, we can't speculate too much because this episode will age very badly if next week we're all That's wrong. That's true. But <laughs> but it is it's one of those hires that smacks of we're now taking this seriously, like. We're, we're announcing a games thing next year, you know, next week, and we have Jade Raymond on board. We have your attention yeah, now, Yeah, I think that's more... Like, I don't think it is of it as them taking it seriously as so much as them letting everyone know that they're taking core games seriously, traditional. Like, their, yeah. their Project okay. Stream test game was Assassin's Creed, and then they went out and got, you know, noted Assassin's Creed developer Jade Raymond... Uh, to be a VP of, like, I'm assuming uh, a, a studio creating original content for their streaming platform, uh, whatever it might be. And, yeah, like, that that guess might age very poorly, but that seems to be sort of the the easiest way that the blocks fit together here for, for what they announced next they week. They also... Yeah. They also picked up, um, at the end of January, Phil Harrison. Um, he also joined Google as the, a VP of something and couldn't say what it was and said it was an extremely special opportunity. Um, worked at PlayStation. Uh, he was at Microsoft. Uh, he was corporate VP for Xbox stuff. Worked at um, Atari. So yeah. I, so I mean, he's, that's the thing with, with, yeah. with Phil. It's like, yeah, that's, that's a big name and you hired him. But it's kind of like... he. I, feel like he's worked everywhere now and i don't i don't know the the jade raymond hiring kind of like felt more significant to me it feels more significant to me too but i think i think him joining them slight just like a little bit earlier is just kind of further confirmation that something very interesting is happening like it just supports that like they're pulling into the traditional you know console games market for talent and and yeah i i think i think i I see what you mean like raymond feels more significant i think phil harrison feels like a very significant significant hire in terms of business he knows how to run a games business jade raymond feels significant in terms of creating content and ultimately google needs content i would argue google needs content more than it needs a good business model because you know google is not exactly a small company it's not exactly a startup it doesn't have many failures under its belt i'm sure that there are enough people there who could work out how to run a decent games business but what they really need is content and particularly core content to distract from or or to stand shoulder to shoulder with microsoft um playstation nintendo that you know and the like and at the risk of of just kind of like completely exposing my ignorance it, it feels like the um the the sort of level of business management that phil harrison had been operating on those skills are more um you can transition from different corners of the industry different markets uh with those skills easier in my mind than like mm. 
yeah, I ran a AAA uh, game development team. Like, if someone from a AAA game development team tells me, like, oh, and now I'm running a mobile free-to-play game, I'm not sure, like, that skill set transitions in quite the same way. Yeah. So uh, this is just totally, you know, speculation. But for me, like, I read more into the Jade Raymond hiring than the Phil Harrison hiring, which is not to be a reflection on either of their actual impact on, on the project. The thing it actually reminded me of was, um, so obviously, yeah, we've said they've got Phil Harrison, Jade Raymond, two big games hires at Google's mysterious new games thing. It reminded me of when Amazon were ramping up their game stuff before they announced Lumberyard and they announced you know, Amazon Game Studios because they had Clint Hocking and Kim Swift. So the guy, you know, the, the developers behind like Far Cry 2 and Portal. And that, you know, those were significant hires at the time. It was like, wow, they are, they're getting real talent on board to really ramp up their own games offering. And we're about five years on and nothing has come of that. And I don't think either of them are even still at Amazon anymore. Yeah, Hawking's at uh, Ubisoft Toronto now, I think. Yeah, so I'm just, I'm hoping that Google that this isn't going to be like Amazon where, you know, wow, significant hires, really promising, you know, lineup, you know, in, in terms of, you know, executive lineup and nothing comes of it. I imagine, I imagine will be, you know, some of those fears will be laid to rest next week. Looking briefly at next week, did you guys have a look at the, the pattern applications for the controller? I don't want to go too much on it because it is just a pattern application and therefore it may not ever come to be. But the, the there were obviously the renders of the Google controller going around, which you know, look semi-official, but were done by um, an artist online as kind of a mock-up of what they think it might be, what they think it might look like based on the the diagrams in the pattern. But when you actually read through the pattern, it was going, it was it was not so much for a controller as it was a system where notifications can be delivered to the player through the controller. So. The lights will, you know, the lights around the buttons will change, or it will chime different chimes depending on the game that has received a notification, or a chat invite, or a game invite, or if someone's beaten your score. Like it seemed when I was reading through, like it seemed like a cool system, but I don't know about you guys, but I am already sick of my phone trying to remind me to play games, or Facebook telling me that, you know, all your friends are playing this. If I have a controller sitting on my, t- you know, side table and it's just beeping at me, hey, hey, come play me. I'm going to put that in, like, the bin or something, surely. Yeah, maybe maybe we're all just showing our age, I guess. <laughs> it doesn't sound appealing to me either, though. Um, it sounds obnoxious. Um, I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like it's going to differ fundamentally in, from current controllers in ways that I am going to enjoy. Yeah, I, I just... I get completely turned off these days by the way games insist on constant engagement. It's it's so needy and invasive, and you can see the monetization scheme driving it most of the time, and that's always a huge turnoff for me. So, like, if if Google does this and it takes off, then, you know, Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo can can promote their new controllers that won't bother you at all and that'll be a significant selling point to me (laughs) i do think it sounds kind of appealing the idea that you can the controller can very easily switch what device it's connected to um yeah that's brilliant in a a services-based future that we're, we're gearing towards yeah yeah and i like at the moment in my household, I would not have any use for such a thing because all I have is my gaming PC and my Switch and my phone, I guess. But 
I guess if it jives with whatever Google is planning, which I presume involves connecting things across multiple, like Android and you know whatever else they have, um, that that could be very useful, um, especially given how many ridiculous controllers there are out there and how they don't they aren't compatible with anything except the thing that they're currently plugged into sometimes yeah definitely so looking at the other personnel news of the week uh brendan green shifting over to the special project division in amsterdam so he's moving from south korea where pubg is is primarily developed to the new office in amsterdam that opened last year um primarily a research and game development um team he said uh, we are tasked with exploring, experimenting, and creating new technologies, tools, pipelines, and gameplay. But for me, it is more than that. Together with a team of game developers and researchers, we will explore new possibilities of interaction and connection within the game space. Now, obviously, that's just all hyperbolic blurb. But I'm intrigued to see what he will do next. Because, not single-handedly, but he has been instrumental in defining the Battle Royale genre or subgenre, however you want to define it, that... Is currently influencing the direction of of the the, the influence uh, sorry, of of the industry, and the idea that he he might be looking at a different type of online experience or yeah, just trying to I, basically not putting the pressure on him. But I'm intrigued to see if he'll come up with that next big thing. It's rare that someone does that twice, but I'm, I am intrigued to see what he comes up with. Well, now I'm trying to think of anyone that's done it twice. I think it's especially interesting coming from PUBG right now. Um, I mean, PUBG obviously is not hurting for money. Um, it, it seems to be continuing to do well, even with its competition. But, you know, Fortnite has surpassed it, it seems. And there are the competition just keeps on coming in Battle Royale. So PUBG just itself as a game needs to do something different. And that company needs to do something different as well. Um, because in, here in, you know, a year or two years or whatever, they're not going to be able to just keep writing being the first big battle royale. Yeah, I can see how he would be kind of done with it at this point, too, because he's been working basically on this for years and years, right? He he was doing the, what, day one King of the Kill or day Z? No. Five years, he said. At the start of his announcement post, he's like, basically five years of my life have been Battle right. Royale, and I'm essentially keen to move on. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's it's just like it, the Battle Royale thing was such a home run for him. Um, I, don't, I always see, see these sort of, you know, this person is moving on to, to try other stuff uh, as like, here's your reward, here's your victory lap, go go mess around and try new things for a few years. And, and I can't think of that ever having really produced something great, but like, I'm happy that, that the people who are responsible for, for such, you know, huge success do get, uh, some leeway to, to pursue their own, you know, creative interests after that. I just wouldn't expect much from it. Yeah. I'm hoping I'm hoping to learn a little bit more. So I'm actually meeting up with Brendan next week at GDC. So I'm hoping to um, obviously I can't imagine he'll give me full details on whatever he's working on because he probably hasn't started yet. But I don't know. It'll be an interesting conversation I had because I, I interviewed him. Um, it was a couple of weeks after PUBG had launched. He was at EGX Res in London, which is an event our company runs. And I think it was literally two weeks after PUBG had launched. And it, it, 
it done this incredible like I think it was 11 million dollars in 11 days or there was some sort of like really impressive stat of like wow that's a really fast launch for an early access title and even then I mean that was six months before you know Fortnite suddenly flipped and became Battle Royale like there was just no way of of knowing how big Battle Royale would become and that was just two years ago so it's just it's gonna be interesting to see how much his life has changed and how much his outlook has changed in the last in the last two years. big topic this week is EA's handling of the EA game changer around The Sims. Um, Brendan, you wrote a, a great kind of opinion piece on this. Um, it's not so much a, a comment on EA specifically and how they have handled this situation. That in itself is is fairly bad. But is the relationship and the still... The, the, we're still working out the kinks of the relationship between industry and influencers. I mean for those who haven't read your article, like what were, what were your thoughts? Uh, so this is something that I've kind of seen happen uh, time and again in, in games and tech industry in general is uh, people see an opportunity, they pursue it, the opportunity pans out and, you know, all their wildest dreams come true. But uh, along the way, they didn't ever really stop to think about like, well, what's the downside of this? What's what's the worst case scenario of our best case scenario? Um, as <clears throat> as I said in the the editorial, so it's like uh, with with influencers especially, like it wasn't really thought through from from the very start. People were just like, hey, there's kids on YouTube and and Twitch that you know they have these access to this community and they can sell our games for us. Basically they can market, uh, for us. And so it just kind of became common that, that publishers were paying these people to play their games on the stream, uh, basically, you know, endorsements and they weren't, they didn't feel fussed to, to say like, Hey, and you need to disclose this, that you were paid for this endorsement like you know the whole ethical component of it was completely uh ignored for years and and the federal trade commission stepped in and and told them again and again and again never really handing down damaging fines for this um but you know slapping wrists to to try and convince them like no no you if you pay people to say nice things about your game that needs to be clear to the audience uh, so, like, game companies have understood the power of influencers to to build and foster active communities for, for years. And a lot of times that's great for everyone involved. The, the companies get their marketing, the influencers get money and something to talk about, the, the, the people who like the influencers get exposed to a new game that maybe they'll be interested in, and they get the entertaining content that they're there for. Um, but like we haven't, we never really stopped to, to think about, you know, what, what does it do when we have, when we treat these influencers as extensions of, of the marketing arm? Uh, so like EA's game changers program, it takes these people in the community that are on, you know, YouTube, Twitch and all that, that are sort of like well-known in the community, but not part of the development team. And it, it gives them this, uh, you know, 
official uh, status saying like, yes, these people are important within the community and they are the conduit from us at Electronic Arts to you, the players. And that's kind of an issue because these they're not employees. They're, they're, they're not vetted the way a full-time employee would be. They're, they're not understood and known by people within the company the way a full-time employee would be. But they're given that reputation and that authority. So this is something we've seen happen not just with the Sims Game Changer program, but, you know, um, Minecraft, World of Warcraft, uh, where, where these prominent community people have some of them have been exposed from time to time as uh just sexual predators and it's it's kind of uh, it's depressing how common the stories and a lot of these have been reported on by kotaku which i really want to emphasize has done a great job uh covering this as sort of like an emerging thing in gamer culture uh the the stories of the people that have been targeted by these uh, abusive influencers are are really kind of common because they they talk about oh here's this person and they're so f- well known within this community they're famous they are they're they're influential they have so many friends and I was worried that if I said anything uh, their their followers the their friends, the, the the game publishers, would all take that person's side because they're so well-liked in the community and I'm just a nobody. And, like, I don't think that this is a massive problem. Uh, like, it's, it's not widespread. It's not like, oh, all influencers are uh, abusive creeps. But there are enough influencers out there that, you know, just whatever the proportion of the general population that's creeps is you're going to have it represented in the influencers and companies i don't think have have really concerned themselves with trying to prevent uh creeps and abusers from from getting that kind of official um endorsement from the company because that gives them you know that gives them the the leverage and the status that they can then use to to prey on your community, your your players, the people that you really should want to do your best to protect. It's also, I mean, you say that, yeah, no, it's it's obviously not a like a like there are the majority of you know influencers and content creators are probably like nice normal people, whatever. But I do think it's like a lot easier for people who are creeps and awful and are trying to do these kinds of things to do that. You know, not just not just because, you know, you've got like a monitor in front of you instead of, you know, a person to person interaction, but also, right, because like there is no oversight. Like, yeah, those people exist in workplaces and other locations as well, but it's harder when you have, you know, an even like moderately effective HR department or, you know, s- some other kind of thing overseeing you and making sure that, like, there's some kind of consequence. But when I guess the only consequence is that, uh, some people on the internet might say things to you like it doesn't it doesn't even register as a as a consequence and also so many so many influencers and streamers and people are younger and they get into it much younger and they don't they maybe don't have there's like no training there's no 
there's no person who says, okay, here's the right way to behave when you're, you know, representing this company. And so, yeah, it's just, it's so much easier. EA's Game Changers program actually does have uh, training that they, that they say like, hey, we're, we're training these kids, but it, it isn't necessarily about, you know, training to, you know, make sure that you, you understand the, the, the weight that your position has and, and not to take advantage of, of fans and, and things like that. I, th- I think it's more the like, Hey, here's how you can, you know, engage players better and increase your audience and, and that kind of thing, which, which again, kind of shows like the, the priority here for, for companies by and large. Like I, I think there's, the, the the relationship with influencers in some cases can be almost uh, exploitation, exploitative, um, because these are people doing a lot of heavy lifting for your marketing team, and they they are doing marketing that your internal employees really can't in in a way because their external status to the company uh does give them with their audience a a kind of credibility and legitimacy a a seeming independence like no they're my friends they'll tell it to me like it is whereas you know if marketing exec 2348 from ea comes on uh and tells people like no that's you know people will kind of if they're presented like that they'll understand that's i'm being i'm being sold something uh so like by going to the influencers and using them in this way and then like not even compensating them it's it's already kind of it feels a little sketchy to me but then when you also like aren't aren't reining them in or keeping track of them or like by keeping them external you also don't have any control over them really the worst that you can do is like i'm kicking you out of the game changers program which is not necessarily something that will keep people in line the way, you know, regular employment might. Um, that's the that's the real issue. It's the lack of control. Like companies, we we as journalists, and I'm sure you guys are uh, going to join me on this. Like we have you, we are journalists. We are not controlled by those we are by the people we are writing about. As much as they may want us to take this angle or get this message across, that doesn't matter. We cover the message that we want to cover that we believe is is of best to our readers. You still get companies. And I'm not going to name anyone, obviously, but you still get companies who are. Oh, actually, we really would prefer if you focus on this or this is actually the message we're trying to get. Doesn't matter. We are editorial. We are through our experience alone. We we have learned how to best judge what is going to be of value and what is going to be of use to our readers with the influencers that is the the companies obviously want to control the influencers a little bit more in that they ideally wanted to control or at least to to they want to influence the influencers i.e suggesting putting out a positive message the issue is influencers are people not channels and you sometimes get the the impression that companies view these people as channels they view them as channels and they're and a, a route to an audience rather than as individuals and the problem is individuals cannot and should not be controlled 
an example, an anecdotal example I'll give from a, an event I went to recently. It was kind of a little mini summit I went to in London, and a woman from Sony Music was there talking about, um, or not Sony Music, from a music company, talking about um, One Direction. She used to work with One Direction, and there was a rival, a Twitter rivalry between One Direction and another band, I think it was The Wanted, maybe, and one of the members, Louis Tomlinson, kept on stirring up this... Um, this uh, this rivalry between his his with his Twitter fans on his own individual Twitter account, and basically you know, encourage them. Oh yeah, go on, go on. You know, harass harass the other band, and he's doing it jokingly. But then obviously you get the you know the the fans who are so ridiculously out of touch with the real world that they do actually start harassing the other band, and we all know about internet toxicity. But the point was that the PR team are were you know losing their minds a bit because hang on louis tomlinson this you know ad, essentially an influencer in in this instance is saying something that we don't want him to say but we can't stop him from saying it because that is his individual channel that is his and that's that's the issue that that publishers and developers have to remember when you're working with influencers is no matter what you want them to say not what you hope they do say they're always going to say something you don't necessarily want they are and and when it comes to situations like this this sims game changer they may be people you don't want to be working with but that that just emphasizes the importance of actually looking up who you're working with and what they what their thoughts are what their messages are before you actually associate yourselves with them and actually enforcing consequences too i mean brendan's whole point is that they're when people start up these kinds of things like they start up like a game changers program or you know even just like YouTube creating its platform, they don't think of the consequences ahead of time. Um, but I think the other problem is when those con- when the bad things do manifest themselves, historically, all these big companies have done just a god-awful job of reacting to them. I mean, how often have people complained about, like, Nazis on Twitter? And it just seems like... And, and all the stuff with YouTube lately. Um, there's been, like, three or four different things going on with YouTube where there are just these awful things going on in the comment sections, and YouTube is scrambling to try to find ways to react to it, but no matter what they do, like, none none of their reactions are actually solving the problem. And it it's either too little, or it's too late, or it's both, um, when people try to, like, try to moderate their communities, um, or they just don't seem interested in doing it at all. Um, and I don't. What, what I don't know what EA's. I guess EA did eventually deal with this person, like several months later. Uh, but have do we know? Have they taken measures to make sure this doesn't happen again? Are they changing anything about their program? They haven't said anything along those lines. Not that I've seen. Yeah. The statement seemed to just be, "This is our process. This didn't get followed. We're sorry." I don't know if that suggests that they they believe in the process that they already got and they're just going to be a little bit stricter on whether or not it gets followed or i would assume there is a lot of reviewing going on uh behind the scenes but like you would want to be optimistic in that regard but also like looking and not not ea specifically but looking at other sections of the industry that have you know toxic people in it it's kind of not an optimistic thing to think about yeah this is like these things can get better with cautionary tales which is kind of how we tend to have it happen right now like something happens oh my god unthinkable horrors result and then everyone's like hey remember that time unthinkable horrors resulted let's let's not do that anymore but a lot of this if if you like just kind of 
dampen your enthusiasm for a possible success just for, you know, the, the slightest of minutes and then just kind of think, okay, well, let's assume that some people are really awful and what's what's the worst thing that can happen here? What are we unintentionally facilitating? What possible bad things could come that we would have contributed to if things go right here? And, like, I, I would like the just... And I know there must be some of it. There's probably lots of forethought that has kept more horrible things from happening. But a lot of this stuff that that comes up is really predictable. It really should have been uh, raised as a point at some point along the way saying like, hey, you know, when we give people the authority of our our brand, we, we lend that weight to them. You know, that's that helps us achieve our goals but we have to keep in mind that it is helping someone else that we know nothing about achieve their goals as well it gives them power and we have no control over how they use that power and given how sensitive ip holders can be about their brands and be about their ip it is surprising to see how quickly people hand over that power i get purely for it, it's purely for the the audience and the influence like it's you have to just weigh up with you know, is it really worth that cost is it really worth the risk like you said brendan i think there should be a, a few more what could go wrong meetings yeah definitely Okay, that is all we've got time for this week. We will be back next week with a special GDC episode reflecting on everything that uh, Hayden, Rebecca and I have uh, discovered out there in San Francisco over the next week. In the meantime, you can listen to our previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify and all good podcasting platforms and you can get your daily dose of news, analysis and insight into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. Music